0: The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello, and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Carolus, and you are listening to Pas de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance! I hope that you have all had a wonderful week. Right now, while you are probably listening to this podcast, I am actually teaching class for the Second Avenue Dance Company at NYU. That's New York University's Tisch School. This is a great group of dancers that... uh, It's comprised of the graduating BFA and MFA students at New York University's Tisch. So I am very excited to be doing this, and you'll probably be listening to this while it is happening. (laughs) I have had an interesting array of things happen this week from new opportunities to lost opportunities. So we're going to be talking a bit about that today. But in positive news, my Friday Advanced Beginner Ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center have been extended for a Another two months. So I'll be teaching some great, strong, hands-on ballet technique through the end of April in New York City. So if you are interested in taking, I hope that I will see you there. On the other hand, I've had a few really fantastic opportunities slip through my fingers this past week. The first one was an opportunity that I lost due to an administration change that happened before I was able to sign a contract, which was really, really disappointing for me, but it's okay. I'll move on. (laughs) Uh, The other one was a potential speaking and teaching engagement that was clearly never meant to be. For those of you who haven't made your way over to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, yet, I can let you know that I got this podcast due to my candor and openness on that blog. And I always feel that I do my best media work when I talk about something that I'm experiencing right now, as I've been doing on that blog for almost five years now. So I figured why not talk a bit about negotiating fees and contracts appropriately and how to do so with the best intentions to make things work, because all artists are going to have to discuss money and terms at some point in their career. So let's start with my current experience. A few months ago, I received a message through my website expressing interest in having me teach master classes and to give a keynote speech for an event at a very well known museum. I was honored just to be considered for this opportunity. In fact, when I received the message, all I could think of was how all of my hard work blogging and podcasting <laughs> for relatively no pay uh, was finally starting to pay off. Yep. So I, I've talked about this on my blog. I haven't talked about this on my podcast. But really, the work that I that I do in my media, it's I don't really get... Too much direct pay from those. I really, I, 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 get to share my my passion for our art form, and I get to share my experience. And I do end up getting work based off of these things, but I don't actually get paid directly for these these uh, media ventures. <laughs> I, I I do it because I, I love the dance world and I, I'm passionate about the dance world. And there are so many, there's such limited insider resources with truthful, sometimes harsh realities about our field that I felt the need to be that person. I've actually risked a lot to speak so freely about so many situations that I've been through and that I've seen my colleagues, peers, and friends go through. Nonetheless, I can handle any backlash, so I'm happy to be that person. Anyway, I've received a handful of requests to speak for events over the last few months, and this one really piqued my interest. I was so excited and honored to give back to my field, take part in an event at this museum, and make a bit of extra income in the process. After months of discussing speech topics, class types, and eventually my fee for the event, communication went into radio silence for a few weeks. I stayed patient, <laughs> as there had always there's, there's always been a bit of a wait for a response. Then, after nearly two weeks of waiting, I finally decided that I should check in on the status of the conversation on fees. Finally, nearly a week after my second attempt at continuing the money conversation, I received a message, immediately ceasing any negotiation talk, and apologetically stating that the festival is going back to their original intention to only use local artists. I was pretty disappointed to say the least, but that is the nature of the negotiation game when you are an independent contractor. Now, I am not sharing this story to shame anybody. Uh, This is not the first time that I've experienced this type of situation either. But what it does is it offers me a relevant topic to discuss and also offers a classic example of a common thread that can hopefully help other artists and organizations come together in our often underfunded field and also in this awkward uncomfortable art of negotiating so that we can work together so let's talk about negotiating in good faith and the best ways to go about coming to an agreement to utilize an artist's services without accidentally disrespecting one another or hurting a potentially long-term relationship with an artist or organization the first step here starts with the organization that is seeking to hire an artist what type of artist are you looking for Are you looking for somebody who specializes in one area, or do you need somebody who can perform an array of duties, like, say, performing, teaching, speaking, consulting, or anything beyond that? Now, before you really dig deep into your budget, you need to determine what experience level of artist you are looking for. Are you looking for a star to boost ticket sales or draw an audience for a speech? They may be quite expensive. Are you looking for an expert who may not be famous but has in-depth knowledge about a certain subject? You should expect to pay a a, a very nice fee for that, but it may not be as expensive as as somebody who is uh, in all the magazines and in all the big reviews and who's being featured in ad campaigns and commercials. Lastly, are you just looking for somebody with minimal to moderate experience that can perform the duties you are seeking uh, and they're able to perform them sufficiently and for minimal costs? Once you've determined what type of artist you are seeking and you do your research to find that artist, you need to determine what your maximum out-of-pocket costs can be for this individual and determine a mid-range ideal that leaves a little wiggle room for negotiation. So what are a few things that you need to consider when coming up with maybe your first asking offer? Are you using a local artist or somebody who lives further away than just a simple car ride? If the artist isn't local, can you afford to fly them or put them on a train or a bus? Also, do their services require more than a day's work? If someone is coming in to teach a class and will be traveling less than two to three hours each way, it may be reasonable to bring them in and send them back the same day. But if they are traveling further than this, even if you only use their services for a couple of hours, they will likely need to spend a night on location. If this is the case, can you afford a hotel? Or if they are willing, is there a reasonable host that has a private bedroom and bathroom for your guest artist? For me personally, when I freelanced around the country, I often stayed with host families to cut down on organizations' costs to bring me on site. Beyond this, if an artist is staying in a hotel or a home that isn't providing food or doesn't have a kitchen, it is common courtesy to provide the artist with a reasonable amount of per diem, or in lay terms, meal money. <laughs> Many going rates for for per diem can be found online, actually. If you you go online and you Google per diem and the state or the region that you live in, uh, you can typically find a legal website that gives the the ideal rate. Um, I don't think that this has to be followed uh, unless you are working with employees, but it, it's a good basis if that's something that you're considering. Beyond just this stuff, this 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 information, you might also, like for instance, for a speech that I would uh, prepare, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing the speech beyond just showing up and giving the speech, so there may be additional costs involved in that that you may not be thinking of so um, a lot of organizations forget that there are more costs that come with an out-of-town artist than just paying their fee their fee is for their service at that time so there it may it doesn't necessarily include the costs of travel or the costs of preparation Um, and it is not standard for an artist to include these rates when you ask them for their fee, so be sure that you're pretty clear in what you're what you're seeking. Now that you've determined what your financial range is to hire an artist, you need to determine whether you're going to make the first offer, or if you want to suggest the artist tell you their fee. This is honestly the most god-awful part about being an independent contractor as an artist. There is no guidebook that tells you what a performer gets, or what a teacher makes, uh, how many dollars per hour, or if it's a full rate for a week, or how much a speech costs. It's just not the most... it's It's not fun. Um... For most some people love the art of negotiation, but for most it's really people just want to be able to do their art and uh, organizations just want to hire people to share their art so it it's 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 just challenging um Especially for the artist, it is really a game of throwing a number in a pool and seeing if it floats or sinks. There is no true standard for these services, as I've said, and you can only cultivate your going rate after having multiple negotiations for the same service to see what people are willing to pay. For this reason, I much prefer that the responsibility of making the first offer falls upon the organization that is hoping to hire an artist. I think this is necessary because an artist's goal is not to freak the organization out with an insanely high number. And this is honestly the fear of many artists, though they also hopefully have in mind that they work their butts off, that they want to be able to pay their bills, and that their services do have reasonable value. I feel that artists also tend to undershoot their value because they'd rather be working than negotiating all the time, but out of work. The reason I call upon companies to make the first offer is because the organization actually knows what their financial capabilities are, and if they are honest with their number numbers and they offer a little wiggle room if they really want an artist, then it becomes less of a game of who values themselves the least and more conversation about one's willingness to work with the financial health of an institution. Yeah, for me, if I, I, I want to share my art, um, but I also want to pay my bills, I want to be able to put a little Bit of money away into savings so that I can take care of my body um, if I get injured, if I want to take a short vacation, if I want to be able to pay off my long-term debt that I've have accrued be, as as an independent contractor because you definitely go through feast or famine periods. So my my goal is never to make a, a, fine, a make a. An organization goes into financial destitution just to use me um, when I make an offer. This goes into that good faith conversation, but we'll we'll get into that in a second. So once the conversation has turned to negotiating fees, an artist or an organization has an easy job. You accept the offer, you negotiate the fee and or terms, or you decline the offer or the artist. This doesn't need to be an aggressive game that leaves one party feeling sour towards the other, whether they've agreed to accept their fee or not. It's a simple conversation that needs to be had, and it should include each party expressing through written communications, just to keep that record, uh, that they are still willing to make this work, or they are ready to pull out of the negotiation. This was the big issue that I had in my recently failed negotiation. We went through all of the steps that I've already mentioned, and the organization asked me to make an offer. So I did and included in my message that this is my going rate, but I am open to discussion. Or, (laughs) in other words, this isn't a final offer. From there, the organization responded to see if I would consider cutting my speech and just teaching. As I've stated, I was really hoping to have the opportunity to speak, so I told them that we can discuss just having me teach, if need be, but I'd really like to find a way to make this speech work. At this point, I offered to cut my fee down by a whopping 25%, (laughs) which I thought was a good-faith way of saying, I am really willing to find a middle ground that works. Unfortunately, nearly two weeks passed and I didn't receive any validation for what I perceived as a generous, good-faith negotiation. After checking in after two weeks and waiting a handful of additional days, I was told that the organization wasn't interested in negotiating anymore and that I was no longer being considered. I was really disappointed, to say the least. Now, all of this is fine, and all of this isn't horribly rare for a negotiation, but the challenge here is that one side chose to make a decision without informing the other, or me, that it had been made. My gears were grinding out some potential speech ideas. I had the date tentatively saved in my calendar, which meant I was turning down other work for those dates. In fact, my mom and her husband turned 60 the weekend of of this this festival and I actually had them change their party plans from the exact date just so that I could attend this event so there there were repercussions for me and I I had started leaking my excitement to a few close friends which that's on me um but I was excited about the prospect so I was starting to tell a few of my my close friends So the organization was keeping my services on layaway with no intention of ever purchasing the item they asked me to put on hold. And at this point in a negotiation, this is where the financial haggling could turn from good faith to leaving one or both of the parties with negative feelings. So, let's talk about good faith. Good faith is a term commonly used in union jargon, contractual terms, and negotiation. This term essentially means that all parties are engaging with the the best intentions. Here, the best intentions would be to appropriately pay an artist while keeping the, the financial health of their organization in mind. Beyond this, it also means that all parties are not looking to gouge one another. The artists didn't raise their their prices 200% because they think that the foundation has tons of money or is naive, while the organization uh, isn't trying to gouge the artists and take advantage of the mentality of an artist that their field is greatly underfunded and that it's better to be working and underpaid than not working at all. Lastly, the idea of negotiating in good faith means that you will respond to communications within a reasonable amount of time to make sure that the organization isn't preventing the artist from obtaining other work or the artist is making sure that the organization has enough time to find a replacement if you are not going to work out for them. All of these things show clear good intentions and should be used in the process of any negotiation inside or outside of the arts. It's really across the board in business. So, there you have it. (laughs) I am still pretty bummed that I won't be partaking in this event at this museum. Um, And I do hope that in the future we can possibly work something out if they do hold this type of event again. But this isn't my first rodeo. I know that nothing is definite until a contract is signed, and even a contract that's signed is not a 100% guaranteed. But I'm glad that I got this healthy reminder that not everybody knows how to negotiate professionally, and it has given me a topic to discuss with you guys. Most organizations do intend to do so in good faith, but they don't necessarily realize that they are acting in ways that may seem contrary to that. Again, though, I'm happy that my losses remind me to share this information with you on this platform, as I think it will be helpful to artists and young organizations alike for years to come. I'm always more than happy to share my own personal experiences with you to better your art and life. If you are interested in learning more about negotiating a contract, I will actually be speaking at Gibney Dance On Tuesday, April 18th, as a part of their DEEP, that's their Dancers Economic Empowerment Program, uh, alongside Gina Gibney and Dante Brown. Um, So if you want to learn more about expectations when negotiating a contract or how to advocate for yourself, please feel free to join us. Uh, And you can go to GibneyDance.org and sign up for this free event there. As always, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycrollis.com. Again, that's www.b-a-r-r-y-k-e-r-o-l-l-i-s.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. That's premierdancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and to see what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B Corollas, featuring my choreography and core dashography. That's core featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.